Welcome to Con Fuoco, a podcast about classical music and its future. I'm your host, Daniel Cho. I'm a conductor and violinist currently based in Oregon, where I serve as conducting fellow of the Eugene Symphony and assistant conductor of the Oregon Mozart Players and Eugene Opera. Each week, I will be discussing one question about the field of classical music with a guest who I believe can provide valuable insight into where we are as a field and what directions we should take as we move forward into a rapidly changing world. Before we begin, I wanted to notify listeners that the show will be taking a break next week so that I can work on future episodes. The show will be returning the following Wednesday on March 24th with some really exciting guests, so stay tuned. My guest this week is composer Ben Yee Paulson. Ben's music has been premiered at Carnegie Hall, Jordan Hall, Harvard University, Curtis Institute, Warwick Castle in England, La Scola Cantorum in Paris, the Dimena Center in New York City, and the world opening of Microsoft's flagship store in New York City. Nationally, Ben's music was awarded first place in the Costello competition, both a merit award and emerging composer status from the Tribeca New Music Festival, honorable mention from the Charles Ives Concert Series, and finalist position from ASCAP Morton Gould Young Composers multiple times. Internationally, he has received honorable mention in the Future Blend Composition Competition and was a semi-finalist in the Tampa Bay Symphony's Composition Competition. He is currently represented by Parma Recordings. Ben's music has been played by renowned ensembles like the American Modern Ensemble, Ensemble del Niente, the American Modern Orchestra, the NEC Contemporary Ensemble, and the New York Youth Symphony. Other premieres occurred at the European American Music Alliance, the Bard Conductors Institute, the Atlantic Music Festival, the Zodiac Music Festival, the Mostly Modern Festival, and the International Horn Symposium in Belgium. His music has been played by prominent artists like Grammy-nominated cellist Thomas Mesa, Baltimore Symphony Orchestra violinist Chelsea Kim, and internationally acclaimed harpist Abigail Kent. Ben is currently a Doctor of Music student at Indiana University's Jacobs School of Music, studying with Aaron Travers and Claude Baker. He has a Master of Music from New England Conservatory and Bachelors of Music from New York University, where he studied with Michael Gandolfi, Kati Agosh, and Justin Dello Joyo. This week, we will be discussing the question, What defines a successful partnership between performer and composer?
please enjoy my conversation with composer Ben Yi Paulson. Ben, thank you so much for coming on to the show. It's really, really nice to finally get to sit down and talk. I know we ran into each other a couple of times at New England Conservatory, but we never really got to talk. So it's nice to have you on the show. Yeah, it's true. I don't know how this happens. This is kind of interesting that it did, but I'm glad to be here. I'd love to get your input on uh, if you could please describe a relationship you've had with a performer um, as, as a composer that you consider to be really successful and a fruitful collaboration. What did you specifically like about the performer's attitude and musicianship? Like what spoke to you about them? And what about this particular relationship stood out to you above others? I'm fortunate to have so many good relationships with a lot of performers. And, and that just comes with, you know, um, the wonderful people at a former school, um, NEC. But um, I did narrow it down to two people that I want to give us a, a shout out to. Those ones being Francesca McNeely, the cellist, and Alana Zacks, the violinist, both of which are NEC alum. And the reason why these two stick out more than others is because there is a balance of both parties helping each other. You're, you're going to hear me use that word balance quite a bit. Mo the most successful part of any partnership and relationship between performer and composer is communication. I've been, I've had a lot of very communicative and open relationships with a lot of people, but both of these performers are super encyclopedics. They really know a lot of depth of a lot of new music. But the thing that makes them stand out between both is that we both support, me, Francesca and I, and Alana and I both support each other for finding opportunities. Francesca, I heard her play and I really wanted to write this solo cello suite for her, which actually became one of my most performed compositions. And not only was she very expressive and thoughtful and has a really good, a lot of really good technical questions about the piece when I was writing it and when I showed it to her, but she actually brought it to the Celebrity Series of Boston. And during my time at NEC, I actually tried to look for opportunities for her to get to play it. And this piece is also part of my record deal as well with Parma Recordings, where the legendary cellist Tommy Messa is about to record it. It's been performed just in a lot of places in the United States, but it all came from this really nice relationship. Alana Zacks, um, on the other hand, she sent me a really nice email one day saying like, Ben, like, I really wanted, I've heard your music and I've, I've listened to it on your website and I really want to do stuff with you. And I really want to program your stuff on a lot of my recitals, which is really touching because, you know, usually it's, at least in my experience, it's the composer reaching out to the performer to get them to do stuff. She, she was very true to her word and her, part of her grant that she got from NEC was to commission me to write a new piece for violin percussion. And then there was a lot of like multimedia components on that. And then later on in my virtual concert series, I actually asked her if I could write a new violin solo piece that was inspired by a Bach partita. So again, it's, it's both people helping each other. It's, um, it's, it's both parties looking for opportunities and wanting to promote. That's wonderful. It sounds like the thing that spoke to you most about these performers and what stood out to you was how they are as people, not, not particularly how they are as musicians. Well, I guess how they are as people informs how they are as musicians. It, it, it's, it's certainly both. I, it's nice when both the, per the person and the musician are equally great. They were wonderful musicians. I'm sure we'll be doing more stuff in the future, but they, they both have very promising careers. 
Amazing. Can you invite us a little bit into the rehearsal space? So what was it like working with them? A former guest of mine was a composer. His name is Matt, Dr. Matt Brown. He's a fantastic composer. And he, he talked about how, uh, you know, we dived into this question, not as extensively as you and I will, but he said that what he really loved when working with performers was when performers were able to take the piece of music and not treat it as though it was some kind of sacred document, that it was this living, breathing thing that you were working on together. Is the, was that the kind of ethos that you had with uh, Francesca and Ilana? That is 100% the case. I, I think that's a really excellent point. They did something very rare, which is what they um, took the music and respected what the music was about, but they also added their own spin to it. They, they weren't just playing straight through. It's sort of like a, a really good actor in a film. You know, they, they take the, the screenplay, but they're able to put their own language and attitudes, personal little details that you see on the, on the movie screen. It's interesting. I think performers, and I would count myself as being one of these people, is, is we spend so much time, you know, looking at music that's been written such a long time ago. And we feel as though, oh, we're trying to interpret what's on the page. That's the most important thing. And so we sort of kind of sell ourselves short when it comes to creativity and originality, because we think, oh, I'm just doing what everyone else has done, or I, I want to perform well, so I'm going to do all this performance practice stuff. And so when we approach a new piece of music that doesn't have that kind of laid foundation of how you're supposed to do this, it not turns us off, but it, it, I think it creates a little bit of anxiety because it's something that we're so unfamiliar with. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting point. The, these two string players, were, they're both very accustomed to new music. So I think that they have the ability to quickly comprehend and understand what the pieces I wrote were about. And that, that's why they had that ability and approachability to like put their own voice to it. But that's something I, I hope in the future can be encouraged with more new music and more young performers. Yeah. The more you do it, the better you'll get at it and the more you'll like it. It's just, it's so, it's super fun. The only reason I think we turn away from it or there might be people who are turned off by new music is because they're just unaccustomed to doing it and just, you, we just got to do it more and it's going to get even better. I think part of the reason that performers sometimes have trouble connecting with new music and, and with composers of new music is because we have, like I said, little to no understanding of the kind of just what modern day composers are trying to do. Like, what is the goal? And, and this is particularly exacerbated by the fact that so much of our music education is so like minutely focused on understanding the compositional norms and the the processes of 18th, 19th, 20th century. And we don't really go out of that realm. That's, we just really strive to understand those time periods and that's about it, right? So have you noticed any trends in what performers don't understand or misinterpret about compositions of modern day composers? Yeah, this, this is an excellent question I, and, and a really important one. Before I really to answer it directly, I think something that's important to understand about new music is that there's so much of it. There is a huge, huge diversity. Just as somebody like Brahms is so different from someone like Wagner, I'm going to be very different than somebody like Stockhausen. Or, um, you know, I was just listening to uh, a composer named Eric Wayson, who is famous for writing a lot of brass music. I think he currently teaches at Juilliard. But his stuff is super tonal. It's, I mean, if you listen to it, it's, um, it's, it's very melodic and it's not, it's unafraid to use triads. 
It has a very clear like sonata-like structure. Now compare that to somebody more experimental or maybe I shouldn't use that word because it has certain connotations to it, but somebody that is more adventurous like and pushes the boundaries like Stockhausen, they're, they're completely different. They, they exist on total opposites. So I think that's for any performer nowadays, that's something to realize. And I think that we only see the that side, the really the stuff that really pushes the boundaries, because frankly, that's what we study in school. And they're the ones that contribute to music history. That's where a lot of the hesitation for new music lies, because that's what we know about. That's what we study in, in, in school. What's super interesting also is that I think ever since the time of Beethoven, there's just been this idea of like, we need to push, we need to push forward some, we need to find the next genius yeah. who's revolutionizing everything. That's what's valued. And that's what's seen as because of this whole cult of genius yeah. idea where we need to find the next Messiah of Western classical music. And so, you know, that's just inevitably what we're going to be looking for. And that's what education is going to focus on teaching us. And we're, we're kind of discounting the whole spectrum of new music being written today. Yeah, that's, that's so true. Beethoven was one of those composers that was both innovative and pushed the boundary, but was extremely musical while doing it. So yeah. I, I just don't think we have those composers nowadays. Or, I mean, we, we do, but it's, it's just in a different type of aesthetic and style. But as far as trends about performers understanding or misinterpreting compositions, I think that if anything, I, I would say it's getting better. I think that conservatives and some music schools are trying to encourage performers to try doing new music, just, you know, the whole spectrum of it, because I think that from what I've observed, this is just my opinion, um, that that's going to be a serious um, outlet for performers to do stuff. I mean, you know, there, there, there are going to be times where you get to perform, where you get to perform a uh, Beethoven sonata or, you know, get your orchestra gets to play a Strauss overture. But a lot of the, a lot of the opportunities we get are going to be in new music. And that's just the way it, it is and the way it should be. And I think that's something we can embrace. And it's exciting to create music of the future. It's, it's exciting to try something new. And I think there's a lot to discover about yourself and music as a whole by doing so. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I, 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 I speak to a lot of undergrads and I'm, I'm teaching a lot of undergrads nowadays and a lot of them don't like new music and a lot of them, they're the extent of their, they, you know, once you get past Stravinsky, they're, they're out. They don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. And I just, I've been telling them like, look, I understand you, you don't like the music, but it's because you don't understand it. And also it, you, you should do it because this is a smart business decision. Cause you're going to, if you're going to want to make money, you're going to need to know how to do these things, how to, how to perform this kind of music. Yeah. And, and to be honest, like, and I'm saying this as a composer, but I was one of those people for a long time. Um, for, for a good chunk of my undergrad, I actually wasn't for a lot of new music. I, I found a lot of it to be ugly and dissonant for the sake of being dissonant um, and intellectual for the sake of being intellectual. I was one of those students, but then I started to look more and do my own sort of research on composers in the last 50 years that I really appreciate. And I know they exist. I mean, I just named one, Eric Waston for one. Um, he's not living anymore, obviously, but Toru Takamitsu is such a good composer and really amazing string writing. 
I think they exist. I think there are composers out there um, or composers living that any performer could find and enjoy. Just, just, just as there's plenty of romantic and classical and Baroque composers that anyone can find. Also, and 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 defining new music just as a whole as as bad yeah. because you had one experience with one piece that you didn't like is just ludicrous, especially thinking about like there are a bunch of composers during Mozart's time who were complete trash, and we don't know who they are because their music was trash. <laughs> and that's the Salieri. Same now. <laughs> Salieri. <laughs> um, I actually like Salieri. I like Salieri. I, I, I don't think he's a great genius like Mozart, but it's 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 good. It's I mean fun. he taught a lot of he, he taught a lot of people, to be honest, like yeah. a, a lot of classical composers. Yeah, Beethoven, I think Schubert also learned from him. You know, we have him yeah. to thank for teaching a lot of our, you know, a lot of the titans of our history. So speaking of 200 years, so um, I, I, I didn't just want to discuss, you know, what's a cult, fruitful collaboration between an alive composer and an alive performer. I, and I wanted to kind of dive into your idea of how to successfully be have a partnership with someone who might be gone. Our field focuses so much on those composers, those composers that have been dead and gone for hundreds of years. So I thought an interesting kind of thought thought experiment would be, I'd like you to imagine that it's the year 2221. So it's 200 years from now. And the music of Benny Paulson is performed regularly by orchestras, by chamber ensembles, and by soloists. How would you hope that they would approach your music? And what are what do you think are elements of a successful par- partnership between a dead composer and an alive performer? I wonder if, would Beethoven be happy about the way that we approach his music now? Would the Mozart be happy with the way we approach his music now? I mean. If we approach the music of Benny Paulson 200 years from now, the way that we currently deal with uh, Mozart, Beethoven, and Brahms, I mean, what would you say to that? Would that be something that you would be, you know, excited about? Is that something that you would, you know, shun? What would be your reaction if you found out that's how people treated your music in the future? In my own craft, there there has to be a a baseline amount of stuff that you have to perform. Like here are some absolute things that you have to do. Like um, I was just writing a trumpet, you know, beginning of a trumpet sonata today. Like you have to perform, you know, the trumpet sonata at this, at like with, with these notes, obviously, and at, at roughly this tempo and with roughly these articulations. But 200 years from now, if my music is being played on Jupiter, if the trumpet player wants to do, um, have a little bit more vibrato or they want to take some rubato or time between different passages, I'm, I'm totally for it. I, I think that there are subtleties in the music that performers should be welcome to doing. And it's in those subtleties that makes the music immortal and standing the test of time. Uh, in your biography, you mentioned that you are an active solo and collaborative pianist, often performing your own music and the music of other composers. How has, you know, actively performing and performing your music with others or, or performing new music, the compositions of your colleagues, for example, how has that informed your own compositional process being an active player at the, at the keys? I'm really glad that I'm one of those composers that still continued to, to keep playing. It's been really important for me to try to keep that up. Probably the most beneficial thing is that it, it makes me a more well-rounded musician in person. I think that it creates a sense of internal balance and 
gives me different ways to express myself. That's probably the most valuable lesson that I've learned from being able to do it. But I also think that it's a good reminder for me as a composer about what works best for the instrument. I was, I was lucky to have performed in Carnegie Hall as a pianist a couple years ago. My, my, my friends and I played this Bach violin and oboe concerto, and I was the keyboardist. I, I, I got to be reminded of like, okay, what sounds good on the oboe? What sounds good on the violin? And um, there's, a, there's a phrasing and cadence that you really got to learn in detail about Bach's music and how to perform Bach by actually performing yourself. Um, I, I do think it augments my own craft. Uh, I mean, this next question is connected to this, and I'm going out on a limb here, uh, and I hope, I really hope I don't offend you or, or <laughs> anyone listening. Uh, in my conversations with performers about, about new music and performing the music of current composers, I found that many hold sour attitudes towards composers nowadays because they see composers as not being expected to be proficient at an instrument anymore as a performer. And thus, they're a little bit uh, oblivious to the realities of performance and technique. What would be your response to those who hold this attitude? And, and do you agree or completely disagree or is it a little bit of both? It's both, 100%. A lot of composers, they simply just don't have the time to keep up their chops with performing. I'm lucky that I do. The reality is there, there's so much you have to learn about composition, like orchestration and conducting yourself, learning how to be a good chamber coach. I do think that I personally have had a lot of benefits from being able to keep my piano chops up. And I don't personally think I'm a great pianist, just to be clear. I, in fact, I, I know how I have a lot to learn. We go to school and we train to be composers and there is a lot of baggage to it. And there is a lot that you have to do to push yourself to, to be the composer you want to be. And sometimes that comes with sacrifices. So I think that there has to be an understanding from the performer side that, you know, um, we simply just don't have the time to keep some things up. But at the same time, I, I do think it's good to for the, for, for the composers listening right now to try to, you know, play a scale before you compose or, or try playing your arpeggios on your instruments, um, or maybe play a couple excerpts from pieces you like. So another topic that we like to bring up on this show a lot is the fact that roles and genres within classical music are slowly beginning to break down. And um, all the members of our field are starting to delve into other genres, other subgenres, and and really following what interests them. I feel like that's something that's a, that's pretty new and is that is happening within our field. So. Uh, for a performer who might want to start composing or is interested in learning uh, how, to, how to compose, where would you suggest starting? I would say that study the music you love. St study how the music you love works. Um, study what you like most about it. Study the structure, the micro, the macro. Look at how the fragmentation or harmonic melodic development happens and you know, make a make a list of composers you like, pieces you like, because I think once you do, you start to develop your own compositional voice. And on the other hand, don't be afraid to go outside your box and listen to a diversity of things um, outside your comfort, even if you don't like it, even if you find no emotional attachment in it. See how what the composer is doing in in you know as, as far as the 
compositional structure and development goes. You know, what 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 is the thesis of this composer's music, and how do they take that thesis or central idea and develop it, or or not develop it? And, you know, if you if you don't think it, the music works because it has no musical development in your own guidelines and vernacular, that's great. Now you now you've learned something about what do you want to do in your own music? To summarize, um, having an open mind, but also loving what you do. From personal experience, you know, um, my, a lot of my music is, is really inspired by early 20th century music of like British composers. Like that's, that's, that's a huge area of, of music where like when I was in high school, I, I really got to have such uh, joy in studying. And over time, you know, I've, I'm glad that um, I find Ligeti to be a composer that I really enjoy. I've, I'm glad to find a lot of salvation in, in jazz artists. There was one commission I had where I had to study the music of Arabic maqams. There was one time where I had to study a lot of Chinese uh, classical music and Chinese operas. As you, as you just said, you know, barriers are breaking down and the definition of what classical music is, is changing. And I'm all for it. I think we should embrace the diversity, but also follow our hearts. Amazing. Uh, I like to end all these conversations, Ben, with one last question. Are you currently going yes. through any non-musical obsession or something you're very passionate about? Yes, Ashley, I am. I started to do Taekwondo. I'm playing oh, a belt, which is, it's, um, it's, it's, it's getting there to black belt. But um, as the pandemic blues hit, I have a nice way of doing catharsis and just punching and kicking stuff. It's all virtual, by the way. I don't, I don't go to, um, I don't go to to the studio. It's great because you know the people in my studio, they're they're all wonderful people. It's a really nice positive attitude and spirits, and you know it's very musical in a way. You know, because it's it's like I, you know, I get to perform, I get to be creative with the moves I get to do. Um, it, it's kind of a complete package. Yeah, I, I I did Taekwondo growing up uh, when I was from when I was, I think, like nine until 15. So it was a really huge part of my life. And I, um, I attribute a lot of my ability to conduct and move well to to martial arts, because you have to go through all the forms. And you got to memorize all these all these uh, these forms and go through all these motions. And you got to hold your hand exactly this right way, or you got to you know yeah. make sure your thumbs in here. There's always a little something that you need to make an adjustment to. And it's a simultaneous like you need to be very relaxed, but also have a lot of power to it. So it's it's I think it's it's really fantastic, and I'm so glad you're doing it. I'm having a good mental image right now of my stroke Daniel Cho with a with his baton. He's like doing a pouce move. <laughs> trying like cue the violins and then cue the cellos and then you know like some fancy you know <laughs> that's your entrance I'll, I'll have to integrate that in <laughs> well Ben yeah. thank you so much for uh coming on to the show it was wonderful having you to discuss uh, partnerships between performers and composers because I think this is we need to have a little more communication here and a little more respect probably more from the performers and towards composers than vice versa. But uh, that's just, that's why I loved having you on because I'd like to encourage performers to reach out to your the composers in your life with an open and generous heart because that's all they want. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
that was my conversation with composer Ben Yi Paulson. Thank you very much for tuning into the podcast. Confuoco can be found on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcast. This will help others find the show. Confuoco is produced by me, Daniel Cho. See you on March 24th. Thank you.